If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. We're in a series called Christmas Expectation, and I want to talk to you about this little light. This little light. That's the title of this morning's message. This little light. But Father, we take a moment, we press pause, we let all the hustle and bustle die down in our eyes, in our ears, in our heads, and we say, Lord, we're here to hear from you. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak, God, to every heart, every life today. God, whether it's something I say or not, but something that you say, Lord, into our hearts, open our ears to hear, our hearts to understand. Lord, and how do we, as we walk out of this place, may we walk differently because we've encountered Jesus today. Not to hear a pastor, not to hear a song sung, but Lord, to be with you and to meet you. Lord, in your word, may it come alive in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Christmas expectation, this little light. Uh, I am not scared of the dark, but I do like a little light in my house when I'm sleeping. You know, sometimes some people, I, I used to work nights uh, at, uh, at a, a juvenile detention center and we had these blackout curtains and you, so you, sometimes you need it so black, you know, when you're sleeping and you can't see your hand in front of your face and so you're like looking for things. But I like a li- just a little bit of light just so in case someone comes up in my house, I know where my Springfield is or my Remington or all the other guns I won't name that no one should know that I have or don't have, maybe or maybe not, around or in my room, okay? So, but I want a little bit of light because uh, honestly, that's the reason I have context, which I sleep in, and, and you know, I, I consult with my eye doctor or whatever, and he hates it, but I do it anyway. There's special context, because I am blind as a bat, and I don't want to be caught unaware should something happen, or you got to get up in the middle of the night, and you trip over things, and you're hitting things. But man, just a little bit of light. Don't you know that a little bit of light in a dark room, and you light a candle, like one of these candles we have here this morning, if we were to black this out, just one little candle, while it may not illuminate the whole room, it will get off enough light so that you can see what's coming. And I want to talk to you this morning about a little light so that you can see what's coming. Sometimes in this life, you may not feel like you have enough to illuminate the darkness around you, but just a little light will illuminate enough so you can see who's coming. And there is a church that Jesus is preparing, he is raising up, who is going to shine like a light in a dark day, and they will have enough light in them that they will see when he's coming. How many people want to be ready when Jesus comes? You know, the Christmas story is often portrayed in a day where we talk about his first coming, but honestly, it's really a lot about his second coming as well. There was a group of people ready for his first coming, and I believe God wants us to be ready for his second you know, I've been on this journey with Jesus. I, you know, I grew up in church, and, and I was saved at a young age, and I, I was raised in church my whole life, but something happened when I was a teenager. Uh, I encountered God in a radical way on a Tuesday night, and since then, it's been almost 20 years that God has put me on a journey of pursuing Him. And it's been a journey, and I, I, I take that, whether I'm in ministry or not, there's something that I just want to pursue Jesus. There's something inside that says, man, there's more to be gained by knowing Him. And the hardest part of this journey that I would tell any new Christian about, it is not so much all the disappointments and the discouragements that may and will come your way. It's not so much, the hardest thing is not so much, maybe even the temptation of sin, which is there every single day when you wake up. The hardest part for me by far, by far has been 
how to keep the flame burning. How do you keep the fire and the passionate pursuit of Jesus alive when perhaps nobody around you is doing the same? I've been, over the last 20 years of getting in this relationship with Jesus, I've encountered many Christians whom I love dearly, but are just dead to this passionate pursuit of Jesus. They're not excited on the inside anymore. Religion has just become a routine for them. They may go to church and sing good songs. They may have good messages, but there's nothing, you know what I'm talking about this morning? There's just something missing on the inside. Just some excitement, some zeal, something burning that is passionate for him there are many people today that it's so very easy myself included to just go to a routine or go through the motions how many know that it's easy just to go through the routine it's so easy to go through the motions it's easy to put sometimes too much focus on what you can do for God and do your self-effort and you know I, I do this and I do that or maybe it's easy to unknowingly compromise. Man, we watch what we watch on TV and before long you're slipping here, you're slipping there. You said a few little white lies, you fibbed or fudged a little bit. You, you just aren't diligent as much as you used to be to be really just sharp and you allow things to affect you. Man, that gossip starts coming out of that negativity or those habitual sins start creeping in and it's just easy to let that be numb. And just like, well, I'm not perfect so nobody's perfect. And just we just kind of shrug it off and it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to lose the mystery of the Lord and the awe and the wonder and just to believe that maybe God might show up today. Just to believe that what if God heals someone or a demon's cast out or a lame walk or the blind see? Like, do we believe in the mystery of the power of the Holy Spirit anymore? I'm just crazy enough to believe and to still pursue this. Say, God, I believe that God still speaks today. I believe that God still baptizes people in the Holy Spirit. I still believe that God wants to show up in signs and wonders and manifest his divine presence among a people who are hungry for him. And I just refuse. Let me tell you something. I don't care if I'm the last person in the room. I refuse to let the fire go out. I'm gonna refuse. I refuse to let the fire go out. But how do you keep that pursuit of God alive when no one else is seeking. Maybe today you're the only believer in your home. Maybe today you're the only person in your family that has that. And you're about to go into some gatherings with your family. Maybe you're the only light that's gonna shine in your home or around your family. How do you keep believing that God's going to save people, that God's going to move, that God can still act when you're all by yourself? I believe that the Lord is going to return. He's going to come again, just like he did the first time. But he's going to come again for those who are enthusiastic in their works, who are expectant in their faith, and who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And those are the three things I want to talk to you today a little bit about. Enthusiastic in your work, expectant in your faith, and empowered by his Spirit. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Let me tell you the story about two candles in a dark day. Let me set this scene for you. If you're there in Luke chapter 2, somebody say amen. amen. I know, got you. All right. Uh, two candles in a dark day. There are two people called Simeon and Anna that we're going to chime in on here. But let me tell you the background and the setting of the day. So just go back in time with me. Let's go back almost 2,000 years ago to the first century, 1 B.C., all right, 1 B.C., the day right before Jesus is, is about to come, okay? And so let's paint the scene. It has been 400 years 
since the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, has been written. Malachi was the last prophet, and he spoke that there would be, the next guy that would speak would be the forerunner of the Messiah. We know that to be John the Baptist later. And he would be proclaiming the day of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit had left Israel, left the temple that Ezra and Nehemiah built. There was nothing there. And the Greeks took over the world, and Alexander the Great took over the world, and man, the Greek language and the Greek religion and all the gods and everything got planted in Israel. And they had revolt after revolt. You know the Maccabean story. The Maccabean revolts happened, and men, the generals began to fight, and man, the priesthood began to get corrupted, and the priest was also the military leader. And man, it just became something more secularized. The, the Israelite religion, the Jewish religion became secularized, and, and it was corrupted at the highest levels. Rome comes in, and they take over, and they institute uh, military force, and they push down the rebellion, and they begin to pay off the high priesthood. They'd pay them off so they would have peace. And they began to pay their pockets. And these people were called the Sadducees, many of them at the time of Jesus, the Sadducees. They were part of the religious elite. They were filling their pockets with greed and bowing down to the gods of Rome and being paid off. And you had people like Herod the Great, who was a puppet king of Rome, sent there to do their bidding. And he pretended to be a Jew, but he was a half-Jew. He was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. And he was evil, man. He killed his own family his own sons. He ruled with just brutality. This is the day that we're living in. And then you have another group of people that said, hey, let's pull out of all the secularism and corruption and let's get back to the Bible and let's be conservative. Let's build walls of tradition around us so we'll never fail God. And these are called Pharisees and they've built wall after wall, tradition after tradition, heaping burdens upon people and burdens upon people. Yet they were devoid of the Holy Spirit. In fact, they were all about building themselves up with their dress and their prayers and all their sacrifices and how much Bible they knew. Yet they didn't know God. And then you had some people that said, we've got to get out of this place. We've got to escape. They're called the Essenes, and they escaped to the Dead Sea and to some caves. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? And they began to write those and try to say, let's just wait for the Messiah to come and hide in these caves and get away from the world. That's the only way we're going to preserve this. But then the Gospel of Luke narrows in, and it narrows in on just a few little candles and a big, dark day. And you're going to see people like Zechariah and Elizabeth and two other people, Simeon and Anna. And they are called the faithful remnant of God in a day like that. Let's look at what happens. This is the day, eight days after Jesus was born, and they would take him to the temple to have him circumcised and give his rites, and they would give two turtle doves and sacrifice for the newborn, firstborn child. You ever heard that? Two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree? Now, now you know where it's come from, all right? Luke chapter 2, verse 25, and let's read here. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, or Simon, and this man was righteous and devout, and he was looking for. Turn to your neighbor and say, looking for. He was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And look, he came in the Spirit. That's key. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus uh, to carry out for him the custom of the law, they took him in, he took him into his arms. 
And he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. And at the very moment she came up, she began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him. To all those who were what? Looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. I want to paint you this picture this morning. I want you to think about this. Here we are in this temple, the very temple which is meant to be the temple for God on high. There are sacrifices being done. There are Levites singing songs. There are priests who are slaughtering animals and getting blood all over them. There are Pharisees who are quoting their scripture. There are Sadducees who are sitting back and watching it. There's a hustle and bustle of hundreds or thousands of people coming in to worship God on high with sacrifices and giving alms and praise to the Lord to be obedient to God and not one single person, when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords walked in the door, even noticed. That's, this, that's his temple. That's his sacrifice. Those are his songs. That's his word. That's him. This is who he's for. And there he comes, getting strolled in. Can you imagine Mary in the stroller pushing him in, right? And they don't even notice. Don't even Notice, don't you think that the temperature in the spiritual realm began to change? This temple had been devoid for years of the Spirit of God. These priests had been doing works of flesh rather than works of spirit. They had been singing songs to themselves and God had been devoid of that place. But then he came in the room. Nobody noticed. I wonder how many times and how many churches and how many places that we sing songs about Jesus, we preach about Jesus, we come to church to be about Jesus, and nobody even knows he's not in the room. How many dead church services do we have? How many dead songs do we sing? How many dead works of religious things do we do and yet never notice he's not in the room? But there were two little candles who had lit up a dark place. They had just enough light they could see him coming. Let's talk about that. I want to talk to you about enthusiastic, expecting, and empowered. The first one is enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. So let's talk about Simeon and Anna, each one. Simeon. It says that uh, we don't know anything much more about Simeon except for that he was righteous and devout. We don't, think he, we don't know that he was a Levite or a priest, but something there, Simeon says he was righteous and devout. What does righteous mean? Righteous means to be in right relationship with God. How do you do that? The Bible is very clear. No one ever can do it by works. It is only by faith. It means just like Abraham was righteous and it was because of his faith that he was righteous with God. Simeon was a man of faith. That's what we know. He says, man, I want to please the Lord. I trust in the Lord. I believe in the Lord. And devout, what does the word devout mean there? In the Greek, it means pious or God-fearing. It means that you had to have a care about what the word of God says. 
that you really cared that I want to obey. Maybe I'm not perfect. Maybe I'm not going to do everything rightly, but I have a heart that is after the Lord. That's Simeon. Man, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't uh, blameless, but he was a person who said, my heart is for the Lord. I care. I look at this word and I say, maybe my life needs to add up to this. Maybe I look at this and say, man, that verse, I need to live that out better. Man, I care that I'm not in this place and it's so easy to just go through the motions. But here you have a guy who recognizes Jesus and what's the first thing we know about him? That he didn't go through the motions. Do you care what the Word of God says? Or would you say, you know, like, I'm not perfect. It's okay. You know, everybody does it. I, I feel a little cuss things. I do a little there. I do a little that. You know, but, it, but it's okay because Jesus loves me anyway. Or do you say, no, Lord, I'm bothered by my sin. Lord, I want to serve you. God, work out my salvation with fear and trembling. God, crucify this flesh in me that I might please you. That is Simeon. And say, God, I care about loving you. God, I care about serving you. Will I fail you? Yes, every day, Lord. But my heart, do you have a heart that's for pleasing the Lord? A heart that cares what the Word of God says. That's Simeon. He was part of that holy remnant. Then you have Anna. I love Anna, man. Anna is my favorite part of this story. It says that she was from the tribe of Asher. What is the tribe of Asher? Asher was one of the 10 lost tribes. 500 years ago, Asher had fallen into idolatry and been exiled with the 10 tribes in the north of Israel. And yet here's a holy remnant of people. Anna has chosen something very powerful. Listen to me. Anna has chosen something very powerful. Anna had come from a lineage that says we bow down to idolatry. We are unfaithful to the Lord. But Anna made a choice, whether it was her mom or her mom before that, Anna made a choice in her life that I will not fall prey to the generations of failures before me. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. And it would be like this. She says, maybe my daddy was a drug addict or my mama was an alcoholic. And maybe those people and my great grandparents never went to church. But me, I'm breaking this tradition right now. We are going to be faithful to the Lord. Maybe you're in a place where maybe you're the only person who has ever served the Lord in your family. And you can be like Anna and say, God, I'm going to be devoted. I'm going to be enthusiastic in my pursuit of you. And I'm going to be in the house of the Lord night in day. In my heart, Lord, I'm going to be for you night and day. I don't care if I go to, and all my family is cursing you and watching that filth on TV and they never go to church and they ridicule you. Lord, I'm going to stand even if my family chooses not to. Amen. Right? Amen. Anna, she's devoted. Not only that, she was disadvantaged. She didn't let her situation dictate what her worship was going to be. She was disadvantaged. Why? Because she was a widow. She had no son to care for her. She probably had no family. In fact, although the widows were supposed to be cared for in this day by the, by the uh, religious establishment, they are often pushed aside. In fact, we might even believe that Anna was a beggar. Anna was a widow. She said, it says she never left the temple night and day. The only way you would have done that in the first century is if you lived in a charity house off the side of the temple. It would have been a, an almshouse, kind of like we would say a Salvation Army a homeless shelter would be close to what we have today. Anna lived at the charity of others for almost 60 years. You know what that means? She lived by faith. Simeon was made righteous by his faith. Anna walked by faith. 
She was faithful. She could have said, oh, woe is me. She could have been disadvantaged. She could have been all those things. She was nothing in the eyes of people, but she was devoted. She was enthusiastic to serve God. Not only that, but as a woman, she could only go into the outer courts of the temple. In the, in the temple, there was many courts courtyards. The first courtyard was the courtyard to the nations, the Gentiles. That was only where the nation, Gentile non-Jews could come in. Then you had a courtyard for women Jews. Then you had a courtyard that could come in a little closer to the male Jews. Then you had a courtyard for the priests. And then you had the temple, the outer holy place and the inner holy place where only the high priest could go once a year. And all these levels of class society. And here's old Anna. She can't go into the holy place. She can't go to the priest court. She can't go to the male court. She can only go to the outer courts. And why is that important? Because if you think about it, the day that she would have lived in, of the hustle and bustle, of the immorality, of the pagan idolatry. Remember, this is the very court, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the nations, where Anna would have been. It says she was fasting and praying day by day. Why is that important? Because that is the very same courtyard that when Jesus showed up, when he came back again, that he would throw the money changer temple, uh, the money changer tables over and cast them out because they were cheating and bargaining and buying and selling. What did he say? My house shall be called a house of prayer. And another version says, to the nations. Anna was praying in the courtyard to the nations. Anna was the only one praying in the courtyard to the nations. Even if everyone around you has made a shell of what the church should be, even if everyone around you has made a mockery of what real Christianity ought to look like, you can be an Anna who prays, who fasts, and in a den of thieves, Jesus says, in a den of thieves, she was fasting and she was praying. Your family might be a den of thieves. Your world around you might be dark. People might be in the hustle and the bustle of going to and from church, but God is looking for an enthusiastic person who in the middle of the hustle and bustle, of the secularism, of the commercialism, of all the things, of the thievery of the world, is saying, I will be devoted to the Lord even by myself. Even by myself, I'm going to get to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. If my car breaks down, I'm calling somebody to pick me up. I'm not going to sit home and waller in my disaffectedness and my disadvantage. I'm going to stand up and say, I'm going to let my little light shine. That's Anna. That's Simeon. They could have given up. They didn't have to be there. They didn't have to do this. They could have got to the desert and gone out and lived as monks. They could have fallen into all the things around them, but they said, no, we're going to be the true, on fire, Holy Spirit-filled believers in a day that is so dark and so dim. Do you care enough to obey the Word of God with all your heart? Are you going through the motions are you being cautious to fear the Lord and keep His word? Are you be the person of prayer and fasting to come to the altar to pray when everyone else is left at noon to go eat food? Are you the person that says, God, I'm going to make the prayer meetings. I'm going to pray over the next generation. God, I'm believing you're coming. Are you that person? Because that's the people who recognized when Jesus showed up in the room.
Number two is the expecting. They weren't only enthusiastic in their devotion, but they were expecting in their faith. It says Simeon was looking for, waiting anxiously for the consolation of Israel. That term is a term for the Messiah, and that word consolation means comfort. It's the same word we'll use later in John for the comforter of the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, the comforter, that God would send a Messiah who would send us the comforter of the presence of God, who would have the hope of salvation in us, that he says, I'm looking for the Messiah who sends the comforter. And then he says that, he says, when he sees, he says, my eyes have seen, when he prays, he takes the baby, he says, my eyes have seen thy salvation. How does he see him? Why does he see him? Because Simeon was looking for him. He was looking. He saw him because he was looking for him. Nobody was looking, but Simeon was looking. He was looking for the Messiah. He was seeing God's heart. And he quotes Isaiah 9 that God would send a Messiah to the light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. And he saw God's heart. He was a man of the word, but he was a man of the spirit. He saw God's heart in scripture. He said, God, I know you're not sending just a Messiah for us, the Jews. I know you're not just sending a Messiah for the Baptists. You're not just sending a Messiah for the Pentecostals. You're not just sending a Messiah for the non-denominationals. You're sending a Messiah to the lost, to the disaffected, to the broken. You're sending a person, you're going to send your son and he's going to bring comfort to those who are comfortless and that's what you're doing God and so he knew what to expect many people are looking for a general to come in those doors they're looking for a guy on a white horse they're looking for someone who could cast out Caesar and then he was expecting and here comes this little baby and Simeon knew that's the dude that's him right there Anna is the same way she had expectant faith can you imagine Anna's passed by. She's a little old widow, 84 years old. Hustle and bustle and changers and animals are being slaughtered and people are running around. Here's Anna just in the corner. This big old temple, outer courtyard, excluded from everything, living by faith, taking up alms, praying and fasting. And she was expecting God to do something in her life and in her day. And she watched all these dead men do all this dead routine. And for years, 60 years, she'd watched the deadness of tradition, the deadness of religion, people singing with no spirit, no soul, no heart. And they were waiting and doing all these things. And in the temple, there was this lamp. It's called a menorah. It's seven candlesticks. You see them on Jewish things for Hanukkah. And in the temple, that lamp was supposed to never go out. And even though those dead religious men had kept that light alive, it was dead on the inside of them. And the only thing shining on that dark and dreary day was not the, tent, the candlestick in the temple, and it was not the religious works of the high priest. It was little old Anna out in the outer courtyard. She was the only thing who saw him coming. You see, there's going to be a people in the last days when the world gets dark and the night gets darker that they're going to be the only shining light from heaven. The only thing that God is looking at is not all the religious works of your church attendance, how well your pastor preaches, how well your worship team sings, how much you can go to church. You can be on every single team and committee and board and everything else you want. You can give a million dollars to charity. But if you don't have the light of God lighting in your heart, you are dead and dark. It is not about what you're doing for the Lord, but doing unto the Lord. And Anna was there having nothing to offer but her prayer and her empty belly. And God said, that's who I'm coming for. She saw him coming. 
She was enthusiastic. She was expecting. Are you expecting God to come in your day? Do you live like he could part the eastern sky at any moment? Do you live with such expectation that your light is shining that you'll not be caught unaware? That's Anna. Lastly is this, is empowered. Can you imagine what it would be Maybe here today you've tried to be, the, you're a Christian and you've, you've been trying and your husband or your wife doesn't serve the Lord or your family doesn't serve the Lord. It's a hard thing to keep that passionate pursuit of God alive alone. Simeon and Anna are like that. It doesn't say if Simeon's wife ever had the same passion he did. We have proposed that Simeon was probably married and yet maybe he was hearing God and doing things and, and she could care less. Where are you going again? I'm going to the temple. And, and he kept it on. And he was passionate. They had this secret prayer life with the Lord. Nobody, the priests didn't have it. The Levites didn't have it. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes didn't even have it. But Simeon and Anna had this empowered prayer life with God. Nobody took notice, but God did. It says, look at, look at this text, because this is very important as we wrap it up today. It says, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Everybody say, Upon. That's so very important because, let me bring it all to close. It's so very important because the word upon there is the same word Luke will use in the book of Acts. It's the word that means remain upon, meaning that the Holy Spirit did not leave and come and go like he did with the Old Testament prophets, but it remained upon Simeon. It's the same terminology for baptism in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word is clothed, right? When you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes in you, but when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You don't wear clothes on the inside, I hope, right? You wear clothes on the outside. That's remaining upon. It's symbolic of the oil of the Holy Spirit that rested upon the priests where they dumped it on their head, and it would rest upon them, and it signified that they were empowered for a purpose. And little did Simeon know that the Holy Spirit would rest upon him and he'd be empowered to do this great, wonderful purpose to be one of two legal witnesses to declare to the world Jesus is the Messiah. You see, to have a witness in a trial, you needed two legal witnesses to testify that is what it says it is. And there is Simeon with power and purpose in a day of dark, dim night. And he says, that right there, that little baby, is the Messiah. God was going to use him for a purpose. Not only was he baptized and remaining upon him, it says the Spirit spoke to Simeon. He could hear God's voice in this prayer life. He had a prophetic word in his own prayer life that said, Simeon, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. Does God speak to you? Is God just something that the pastors talks about or the worship team sings about? Or do you hear him in your personal prayer life? Do you have a revelation that God, his spirit, Holy Spirit is speaking? It's not just Jesus, it's not just God the Father, but the Holy Spirit does still speak to believers. There's nothing in Scripture that says the gifts of the Spirit ever ended after the apostles. That is an errorist teaching. It, it's not true. The Bible continues to happen every day, every day, every day. God is still moving in these last days. He's still speaking. This is before even the apostles. He was speaking then. He was speaking to Simeon. And it says that he came in the Spirit. And think about it. Simeon was eating his Frito, his, his Cheerios at breakfast that morning. And God just says, Simeon, don't go to work today. Go to the temple. There's something very special. The thing I told you about years ago in your prayer life, I'm gonna do that right now, today. Get to the temple. Simeon leaves his Cheerios. He gets in his car, his donkey, right? And he gets there, and he's like, he's just walking around. 
And the Spirit had spoke to him. He heard his Spirit. And the Spirit had led him to the right time at the right place. Don't we need some Spirit-filled believers that says, Holy Spirit says to you, don't go to that gas station, go to this gas station. Go, don't go down aisle number 7 at Walmart, go down aisle number 15. I've got someone I want to talk to you, or you to talk to. I've got something I want you to say to somebody. There's someone I want you to minister to. You see, God is looking for Spirit-led Christians in the last day, people who are expecting God to work, who are empowered by His Spirit to say, I'm not just I'm Christian on Sundays. I'm not just some man who believes in some doctrine or some religious tradition, but I have a dynamic personal relationship with the Holy Spirit in my heart. You see, Christianity is more than just a Sunday thing. It is a dynamic, interactive relationship with the Spirit of God. That's what this is all about, church, to be the last day's witness. And then when he saw him, man, how did he know? How did, how, listen to me. How did he know he could have been looking for a 40-year-old man? He went there not knowing what he was doing. But because the Holy Spirit was in his heart and the Holy Spirit was in Jesus, man, it wasn't an angelic choir with a, ah, this is the baby. There wasn't a sign. The baby wasn't glowing green, man. But that Holy Spirit testified, that is the Messiah. Man, can you go to a church and know God is in this place? Can you hear a band sing and say, God is in that song? Can you hear a pastor preach and say, man, God is in that? Because in the last days, you need to know if the Holy Spirit is actually in the room. If Jesus is actually there. There are too many dead churches, dead songs, dead worship teams, dead pastors, dead ministries who are devoid of life. But in the last days, God is looking for a church who is empowered with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what denomination you call it. You know life when you see life. You can put whatever name on it you want to put on. You can talk about tongues or not tongues or what, how you want to baptize or what your denominational preference are. I know life when I see life. I know if it's living, if it's living. And he was living. And lastly is Anna. There's Anna, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There had been no national prophet in 400 years. Can you imagine? Nobody had heard God or spoke God's words in 400 years. But God was speaking to little old Anna. It says she was a prophetess. You know, the religious elite didn't recognize her as a prophet, but somebody did, enough to write about it. God had been silent for 400 years, but he was speaking to little old Anna. She was speaking forth the word of God. I think it was like this. People would go do all these dead works. They go do all their, their services. They go do all their traditions. They go give all their offerings. And they go there and they leave empty. They get to that inner court and take their cow, their goat, their pigeons, and, and man, give it to the Lord. And I don't know if God's heard me. I don't know if God's pleased with me. I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know. There was dead religion. And on the way out, somebody might say, you know, you don't need to hear from God? I heard about this little old lady. She's way over there in the outer courtyard, out there on the edge of the wall. She hears from the Lord. She hears from the Lord. Don't you want to be the person in your family and in the middle of a dead, dark day, man, is hearing the voice of God that people recognize? Man, that lady, that sir, that ma'am is a person who hears and knows God's voice. Do you that prophetic voice over your children, over your grandchildren, over your nephews and your nieces? Not just to be another Christian, to be somebody that says, that person has the ear of God for my family. And lastly, where was Anna prophesying? She was not prophesying in the inner temple. She was not prophesying where the priests were. She's not prophesying where the male Jews were. She was prophesying 
in the outer courts. Why is that important? The very court where the den of thieves was, the very court where the money changers were, is the very court that Jesus said, that's why my house shall be a house of prayer to the nations. She was prophesying to the nations. She was prophesying to the lost. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my last day's witnesses, not only to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth, to the nations. You see, the Holy Spirit baptism is a witness to the nations. This is for the last day's church, that you would be an empowered, anointed witness to tell lost people prophetically that that guy right there is Jesus. He's not over here, he's not over there, that Jesus is right here, and this is what he says to you today. Don't you want to be those people? I'm, come on, I don't want to go through the motions anymore. I don't want to just have dead church services anymore. I want to be a person that says, I've got a little light shining in me. And when Jesus walks in the room, I take notice. Amen. Take notice to see him as he's coming. God has a purpose to pour out his spirit. He's calling us to go to lost people. Anna was speaking where the nations were. And I'll close with this. There's a parable Jesus gives in Matthew 25 called the parable of the ten virgins. It's been in my heart all month. In Jewish culture, you would engage a woman and you'd be engaged for about a year. And while you were engaged, the husband would go build a house and the wife would go make her dress. All right? And she'd go get with her mom and they'd get all the bridesmaids and her dress, get everything ready for the wedding. And at an appointed time, the wedding would be called. It could happen any time that the groom says, my house is ready, I'm going to get my bride. He's waited long enough. And he goes, and they would tell the bridal party, and they would go out with little bitty oil lanterns, little wicks, with a little pot, little thing, I got one in my office, and a little wick and oil in it. And they would go out and wait in the streets. When he got his bride, he would pass by and go to a, a festival party, a, a party, a wedding feast. And they would shut the doors and lock it because there's marauders and all kinds of crime and stuff. So they would shut it in an invitation only. And Jesus gives a parable. And he says, it's just like that, that there was these 10 bridal virgins, these 10 bridesmaids, pure, expectant. They were enthusiastic in their devotion. They kept pure. They were chaste. They went out and they went with expectation. They were there to go and meet the bridegroom, to be a part of that bridal party. And they took the flame and they went there and they went to the street and they waited. The bridal party delayed. The groom delayed. He took a longer than he said they thought he was going to take. And they burned that candle into the night, waiting for the appropriate moment. They all, every single one of them fell asleep. They all got a little uh, tired in the night. And then a trumpet sounded because the parade was coming and immediately they woke up and they got their flames going again and, and it began to shine. But yet here's what, five of them's oil had run out and only five of them had brought extra oil in a flask just in case. They poured that oil into their candles and burned brightly. And while the others had gone to get more oil, the bridal party came by and they missed it. Jesus says that's how the end's going to be for many people. Some people are going to be pure in devotion. 
They're going to be that pure virgin. They're going to be ready. They're going to be spotless, waiting for the Messiah to come. And the other people the same way. They're going to be anticipating. They can even go out to the road ready to meet him. They can do all the religious works. They can do all the church going. They can pay their tithes. They can go every Sunday. And yet, if they don't have enough oil of the Holy Spirit, they can be taken off guard. Because you can be expectant. You can be enthusiastic, but if you're not empowered with the presence of the Holy Spirit, how will you see him when he comes? I believe God wants to pour out his spirit in the last days church more in this season, in this generation than he's ever done in the history of the world. The Bible is very clear prophetically that man, that God's gonna do more things in the last church than he did even in the first church. Who wants to be a part of that? It may just be a little Simeon and Anna. I'm praying every single one of you say, Lord, God, I want to be enthusiastic. I want to be pure in my devotion. God, I want to be eager in expectation, looking for you. But God, I also want to be empowered with the oil of the Holy Spirit that I can hear God's voice. I can prophesy over my family. I can speak to lost people at Walmart, at the post office, at the gas station and say, God has a word for you. You don't have to call yourself Pentecostal. You don't have to call yourself Baptist. I don't care what you call yourself. Just be full of the Holy Spirit. Be ready because he's coming. He's coming. Would you stand with me today? Worship team, would you come? Are you enthusiastic in your devotion? Are you expectant in your faith? Are you empowered by the Holy Spirit? Are you just going through the routines? Has Christianity become dull and predictable to you? All right, maybe you've never experienced that in your life. Maybe God wants to touch your life for the first time, even this morning, this week, this month. You say, God, I want what those people had. God, I want to have that, that flame burn brightly in me. I want to have a deeper relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Man, you can seek after it. You, if you seek with all your heart, you will find it. Knock and the door will be open to you. Seek, you'll find. Man, it's there. He's here. He wants to empower you. He wants to fill you over and over again. He wants to use you in this last days to be a final witness, just like Simeon and Anna, to be a final witness before he comes again. It's up to you. Even if one of you does it. That one person can shine enough light to see him when he comes. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As the team sings this song, I want us to just begin to worship the Lord. These altars are open. If you want to seek after the Lord, you can find a place or a man that you got a need. We're going to be here to pray with you. But here's what I'm going to challenge you with. In this room, no doubt, as you begin to gather with your family and friends, Maybe you're going to be the only light in a dark room. It's very discouraging sometimes to keep the flame alive. And if today you say, Pastor Heath, I need that refuel. I need that energy. I need that devotion. And maybe today you're, you could just say, God, I'm just discouraged. I, I've, been, I've been weighted down with all the darkness around us. And it's just been hard to keep the flame going. Man, I want to pray with you. Our, our elders, our staff, our leadership team is here. We're going to come behind you. And if that's you, I just invite you during the next song, will you just come and stand across the front and let us pray with you? Because it's hard to do this alone. And we want to say, God, we want God to use you to speak to your family, to 
use you to speak to your friends, to your coworkers. And maybe you say, God, I want that. I want to have a voice in my coworkers at the lounge or when my employees come to me. That God can just give me a word for them. And in a dark day, you can shine Jesus' light. And you just might make the difference like Anna and Simeon. And say, Lord, use me this way. Let's worship. Can we do that? Let's take a moment. Just inventory your heart. Where are you at with Jesus? Maybe you're not even right with the Lord. You want to do that right now. Just to repent of your sin and believe in Him. You ask Him into your heart to be Lord of your life. And you want prayer? We're here for you. Whatever God is going on in your heart, man, just seek Him. Let's sing this together. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. Worthy of every soul. Holy, holy, holy. If you need prayer this morning? You can come.